to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders, developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and try to elevate the conversation. I'm Andrew Peak, the ad doctor, joined with Jackie Lipinski and Bryce Baker on Hello. episode 165. I just took the whole thing. Hey. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Busy, good. Busy, busy week. Busy week. The year's for builders. almost over. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's September. It's, it's a short week. It is a yeah. short week. Yeah. Labor Day. I, th- mm-hmm. I decided we should have four day work weeks all the time, but alternate yeah. Fridays off and Mondays off. So then we eventually have these long weekends you know, that connect together. Nothing would get done. Nothing would get done. Nothing. Be a terrible idea. Ever. <laughs> Third country, this country's experimenting with it. We'll see. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting. Or what if we everyone worked every day, but it was like ten to two. That or, sounds know, one like, to five. Something that, like that. That sounds painful. Mm, I would not recommend. Yes, that. that's not. No, thank you. And there would be like no. I don't know. Restaurants would open up at a certain time. We're going off the deep end here at the beginning. We're changing the whole world. That's so, funny. Whenever. I went to Italy. Everything was closed for like three hours for everyone to go back for a long lunch. And I'm as a tourist, you're like, I'm not used to this. Like, like so in, in terms of, um, I think it's being. Eat. So what do you do? Do you, you just, I guess you, uh, you slander the city, look at the architecture, yeah. love it. It's like, so. there's a surf shop here that if the waves are good, you know, it closes. Like they close hundred oh. percent only if their waves are good and they have a big sticky note, like waves are good, gone surfing, catch you later. <laughs> Yeah. Very, that's a very hyper local. Can you imagine going to a model home? Like, mm, it's beautiful out. We're walking around. Beautiful. Like, that would not be Come find us. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my, text me. I'll find uh, you tomorrow. So have, yeah. So we have some fun story times. Yeah. Let's get started. Yes. Bryce, Bryce, what do you got? Yes. So I'm going to take my own personal home reno project and apply it to marketing here in the, in the world we got going on. So Jordan and I are just recently moved into our fixer upper about a month ago. And we, I noticed that we quickly got super lazy. It was like, once all the work was done and we could live in it, we didn't want to do anything else. So I wanted to kind of apply that to the marketing and show like, oftentimes we think we finished the job and whether it's selling that entry home or like sitting and meeting the goal and community that's been sitting there mm-hmm. and struggling just remind yourself that just because the job is finished and for temporary, it doesn't mean and it's time to forget about it. So going into the first quarter, use this time to not to do what I have done in my own experience and where you've gotten lazy time to like go ahead and start taking charge of it and doing things that have been on your to-do list. Mm-hmm. So like the ad is up doesn't mean you're done. Like, yeah, cool. That's like you, like essentially you started the project. Like, it's not a hey, sudden and forget it. Slow. strategy here. No. Got it up. Ooh. What are you doing to your house? I need to know, like, we need to know a little bit oh, of okay. details. Is it a big giant list? So, and it's like, we're doing everything. It was, okay. we purchased it in March. We got the whole thing, the whole thing, oh, all the way fine. down to the studs in the bathroom. And uh, so Dorian put in the flooring, we scraped all the popcorn ceilings. I have no clue why those were a cool yourself? thing to that do. That sounds terrible. We did those. Thank Gosh. goodness we had no furniture in the house. So we were able okay. to bring mm-hmm. in like the hose from outside. We had 18 foot scaffoldings in the great room. Like oh, it, it was a full on reno that we took on. So now that we're kind of living in it, we got baseboards sitting on the side. The shiplap wood is sitting over to the right of the couch. And we often find ourselves watching Netflix instead mm-hmm. of getting to do those projects. When you're working so, and you're like, yeah. it's Saturday at 10. Do I really want to start that? But no. you kind of just have to like, eventually yeah. you'll be like, okay, done. we just need to get this done. Like this so, is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah. For everyone listening, we, we kind of chatted about this right before the podcast. And I was like, Oh my God, let me go run upstairs. I took a picture of the front of my fridge and on the front, I've lived in my house for 19 months now. And on the front of my fridge, I have a to-do list with priorities of A, B, C, D of what needs to get done. And at the beginning of the year, my husband and I, this, this is very (laughs) me. I'm, I'm a list person. I'm a goal person. I'm a visual person. I, I feel like if you don't see it, it gets forgotten about, you need to write notes kind of like Bryce, what you're saying is like projects don't die. They just turn into something else. I I I don't know if I'm going to, I won't post it. Maybe I'll post it. Yeah. You do need priorities Mm -hmm. and well, and there's certain things. So for example, I actually have a photo of it. So it's just like, you need to check things off that are silly Mm -hmm. even. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people forget that. And how to apply that to marketing is okay. The third quarter is ending. The fourth quarter is coming. What were your goals for the year? You have three months left to accomplish those. Did you time those out properly? Did you not? Were there little things on your list? You can check them off to feel like not overwhelmed your marketing list or things you want to learn or skills you want to teach or, or learn from other people. And so oftentimes, oftentimes as a marketer, we forget that we have our busy. own wins. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. we have our own wins. If you're in sales, like you close the deal, you get the contract, you ratify every day yeah. you have a, you have a win. And we have to remember as marketers, mm-hmm. we have a wins. Like we have to find our own wins in our own market mm-hmm. to be able to succeed. Even if it's every day. And I, and that actually goes back to, I know when we have the academy classes, marketers, or just how we talk about coffee and analytics, like go in and check your things. You don't just sit at your coffee and look at your computer and go, great. You have a checklist of these are the 10 steps that of the things that I'm going to check. And it's my, I'm going to check my Facebook ads are the, mm-hmm. are, you know, are, is a year over year, month over month, Google analytics good for this community. Is this the kind of traffic I'm expected to see here? While you know, if we're spending $500 a month here, why is the it not raised? So, you, so you need a consistent checklist of ways to check the health of your community, mm-hmm. and then you also need to be comfortable with the action items that will come from that list you've created for yourself. But then also, mm-hmm. I think what you're saying, Bryce, is you also need the side list of accomplishments in your own role of things that you want to accomplish, and none 100%. of this is going to be done unless you have goals written and you have actual items. I, I don't know who I was talking to, but do like, you think, so hmm. sometimes I hate goals and I think there, there might be a, per, but that's a portion. Why, okay. That's why audience you, that is my like, shopping, yeah, my, my list on my fridge. Goals and I forget them. Nope. My list on my fridge included like buy a rug for the living room right. because that's you can't exactly you can't have <laughs> unattainable things or there are projects yeah. that are gonna take three months six months but you need what Bryce is saying you need the daily wins and so you need mm-hmm. to set check boxes and it, I I wish I, I can't recall the psychology book but there is a psychology behind like checking things off and feeling oh, yeah. accomplished and I feeling do that on purpose mm-hmm. like I'll start my day and I'll have I have like a legal pad That'll take from, we use teamwork as a project management tool. I have the calendars, all these different inputs. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this done in five minutes. I'm still going to write this stupid thing down because then I'll feel good about it. And it, yeah. to me, it builds momentum to like mm-hmm. keep going, and, keep going. And, want and, to and if you keep, more. some people need to physically write, some people need a digital, but you still, I like what you said, Bryce, you almost need to keep the running list. So when you go, what did I do this month? It's, 
Yeah. You know, are you actually it's busy? You it's a reflection. You can see your success. So you can reflect. see how you grew. Yep. What was the theme of the summer? Reflect, think, refocus. Yes. There we go. Make it a full oh circle over here, guys. I was so proud of myself. Delete that. That's um, awesome. But that kind of, yeah, and then that kind of leads into my story time. Uh, this week at a builder meeting and Julie was there and all of a sudden Julie's like, well, here's a, here's a weird problem. It says the social media um, website traffic is down 80%, but we've, we, we have not increased or decreased yeah, the budget. What, you know, and that's the coffee analytics. The that's throat. the red flag of, mm-hmm. you, you know, who should be not, who, but like, if you were in your accounts, you would notice this faster too. And so, um, so we noticed it, it wasn't too long, but again, if you're in there every Monday, like we recommend people do, um, you, you would have caught it. And so what ended up happening is the, the thing I like to say is I know Kevin likes to call people out and not make them uncomfortable. That's the wrong word. But like when you are in a stressful situation, you tend to remember things better. And so the same yep. thing here, sometimes you learn things as a marketer because I did something very wrong. Yeah. And so if there's I, an emotion tied to it. If like there's an I emotion tied way, to it, I felt like I could be fired for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, remember not really. Yeah. Um, so going back, what had happened was we did our homework. We dug into the website. We found out what the problem was and what had happened. And I don't love WordPress is that someone thought they were updating a description of their community when in reality, and again, we're, it's, it's a little gray. The URL structure was rewritten. And which, mm. so. Easy and, to and do in WordPress. Easy to, to do in WordPress. Very easy. The so that's, platform or something. Yeah. So if anyone listening is like, well, I work on the website and I, I'm very comfortable. Okay, great. But like also just, just things happen. Yeah. And, and this shouldn't have happened because we were, we really went to the back end and we're like trying to find out what had happened specifically. Um, and it, it, it almost looked like a, a developer problem too. So we're like, okay, like it might not a hundred percent been you cause this shouldn't have happened. But if you, we would have been checking this, we would have known the problem. So long story short, it is the best lesson is you have to get comfortable with how you work on the website. You have to get comfortable with the back. If that is your responsibility, you need to get comfortable mm-hmm. and write mm-hmm. out your goals of what you need to accomplish to feel comfortable. And you also need to be doing your homework to check the health of those. Um, and in the end, we were, we're fixing it. The ideal URL structure goes builder name slash city slash community, community slash, you know, and then whatever it needs to be. But you want to have, um, you kind of want to have these specific URLs to, to point people to, but it can't be like, you know, city slash five bedrooms in this new community. It, it mm-hmm. just, it, 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 it will break. It was very weird. Yeah. It yeah. will break. Fortunately, I, I believe WordPress keeps the history and mm-hmm. auto redirects mm-hmm. everything, but not all builder platforms do that. But if you don't understand, so if you almost do it on purpose, you don't understand you're really messing with your SEO and Google isn't going to love mm-hmm. um, yeah. the credibility yeah. that you're messing with and the tracking of your ads and campaigns and Google mm-hmm. um, ads get a little scrambly. And so um, please don't touch your URL structure is my long story short. Mm-hmm. If you're yes. not comfortable yeah. with understanding <laughs> your URL structure, and if you're going, listening to this going, what is a URL structure? Put that on your to-do list of things to know. I also feel like, like if you're not familiar in it, then you're not going to be confident. And Correct. so to make yourself to be familiar. So 
reach out to your web developer and be like, Hey, can I meet with you for an hour? Just, I want to get more comfortable in it. Same thing applies to all of our platforms that we utilize, like Facebook, Google, Lasso, all of them. Um, just make yourself more familiar. You would then feel more confident. Yeah, and I know. It kind know. of ties it all together. I think we've talked to you in the past, like, and if they're like, oh, well, I don't have time or blah, blah, blah. Loom, L-O-O-M.com is a mm-hmm. free website. You get up to, I think, five minutes and you, it's just yep. a screen recording. Under five. Steps save that steps step, or if you're training someone under you create a loom video, of how you did that, create a folder. You just, you know, while you're showing them in that moment, record what you're doing, you're creating confidence. They can watch the video over and over again and feel more confident in their decisions. And, and also it's a, it's a learning tool. So we do it ourselves here at DYC. Mm-hmm. Like we do it ourselves here. Yep. Hey, this is Jackie. How do we fix this? Yep. Yep. How exactly. do we, and then if it's so, valuable, we share it with the whole team. Yes. It's great. Yep. Exactly. It's great. It's great. I'll got, save Andrew? my story for uh, news time because it'll, it'll connect with an article. Oh, so I'll perfect. just bring this in. So we got some fun news stories then. Yeah. Hold on. Wait. I just did the noise. Click, 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 Let's go to the first one. Uh, this one I found the other day. I thought it was pretty interesting. This is from theverge.com. TikTok reportedly overtakes YouTube and US average watch time. Hmm. In parentheses, smaller text subtext on Android, at least. So the caveat mm-hmm. to this is I think people would assume, oh, that mean, this didn't happen on, on iOS or on Apple devices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's happening on Apple devices yeah. because the data they have access to, this is from analytics firm app, Annie, they mm-hmm. only have access to Android because Android's not as private. So mm-hmm. like it could be the same story for Apple. I have a feeling it is the same story for Apple. Um, to me, the interesting part from this is, so I believe that TikTok would have not been what it is without the pandemic and the timing was just like perfect, whatever went viral, mm-hmm. whatever yep. happened, like people had more time, this type of, of, there was, and was, I think um, it getting banned and then unbans people wanted to check attention. out what it was. Yeah, like, so thank mm-hmm. you, yep. Donald Trump. That's your fault for this. <laughs> that it's in there, but I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-TikTok and I don't think anyone at DeConvert is anti-TikTok. And so I, th- I just want to clear mm-hmm. that up. There I, I is, think people get the impression the, yeah. of that and it's really just you have 40, 45, whatever mm-hmm. hours you work per week. What is the most if you're maximizing those hours, should you be on TikTok? Yes. If you have a team of people and you then you have 200 hours of marketing power per week, mm-hmm. whatever it is, then you could put it's 10 just hours utilize man's power. Correct. And it's that's really what the, the conversation is yep. about. Or if you're not doing your coffee and analytics, if you don't have the basics done, why mm-hmm. are you working on TikTok rebuilder? If you have everything done and like there's builders I know of that are on TikTok, they're more than welcome to be on TikTok. They're doing great. Like, like it's, it's, I don't know if it has an impact or not. I have no idea. Video is very hard to trace back and have mm-hmm. attribution other than I think the biggest example, uh, example of is the video working is people are talking about it in person with you. Mm-hmm. Like Eric from Tilson, everyone knows him. Don from Tilson Homes, everyone knows Don. Mm-hmm. they feel like little mini celebrities and Don's hilarious. She's like, it's kind of weird. Like people know my name. <laughs> they know Eric, like this is strange. And they do for them. They only do education-based videos that are, they're like two and a half hours long sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, let's mm-hmm. talk about septic systems, which sounds really boring, but you need to know that when you're developing your own land and, and building. Yeah. Your own land. Like, I'll, you know I'll also go back and, and on that too, because we're not saying you need to do exactly what Tilson is doing. They're on no, build on your lot. 
they, they need, need to educate. They need to educate people because it yep. is a very it's a it's a whole different animal. And I was talking to another builder not too too long ago who was like, you know, we we really need more video. And you know, one of the things we'll sometimes make is like, okay, like, well, do you? well, video like they want to have more um, local presence and similar to Tilson but they're worried about the backlash and the feedback. And so sometimes when you release like a TikTok video or a video not involving someone, there's less chance of answering questions. And I feel like that also builds people's confidence where it's like, oh, okay, like I don't need to actually like respond to this. And actually it's funny in the Market Proof um, Facebook group, I think Kevin put up a picture of that door that he's been trying to buy with the acorn color. and. And his wife now is just commenting at everyone's question like of like, what is this? The yeah. yeah. And it's so like you, that is not a success, a successful marketing strategy. If you're not to just post and then disappear. And I think that's the same thing you're mm-hmm. talking about, Bryce. It's like you, you need to feel confident answering questions regarding your product and, and you need to yep. feel more, you need, and if you don't feel comfortable, you need to gain the knowledge and come up with a game plan. And even if it's, self-learning, you know, or, or creating, you know, go, go out and tour these homes and get more comfortable and ask questions that are, um, to your team. And then also having a resource somehow internally of the frequently asked questions that people, um, are asking just, just you, you will only gain confidence with knowledge. And I think that that comes back, but in terms of TikTok 100%. and videos and the attraction to it, it is still the shiny object in terms of marketing for marketers mm-hmm. and um, it, 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 you're, you're more than welcome love, to do it, but I would love to see the, yes, for sure. I would love to see the performance data between Instagram reels and TikTok. Me too. And cross crossing. Yeah. And crossing it and across platforms and mm-hmm. bring it over. Oh, your coffee guy did that, Andrew, it. right? Also, he did a couple yeah, of videos. Yeah, he did. And then I know a few people personally, it's, and locally that are, that they're in fitness and they, but they have like mm-hmm. between. One has 300,000 followers on TikTok. And the other one has like 800,000 followers on TikTok, mm-hmm. which is cool. The numbers you're like, oh man, this guy that's like, and mm-hmm. here's the videos he makes. Like, this is interesting. Like, oh, maybe there's something to it. But then you go over to Instagram and he's got like 5,000 followers. And the other one has like 12,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hmm, what's going on They're here? They're crossing the platforms and, and then, how it's utilized. Yep. So there's a little bit of vanity in the metrics. Like both of them, they do okay as far as their, their trainers. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. They're, you would think with those numbers, like, they'd be killing it. Like they're rolling in like a nice car. Like, no, it's not quite there. So there's the numbers not, don't really mean much. Yeah. I'm going to Twitter. I'm sorry, not Twitter. I'm going to TikTok to kill time. I'm going to YouTube yes, to educate myself. That's what it is. Yes. Is the difference. hundred percent. The perception of like, are you an expert on TikTok? It's not the same as an expert on YouTube mm-hmm. or Instagram. So the numbers are not equal. Um, but to me, it's all like we talked about content at the summit. I feel mm-hmm. like we're talking about ourselves a lot. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. Like all these are just different on-ramps to you. And so if TikTok is an on-ramp to you and you're able to produce TikTok videos that fit the platform and aren't awful, that aren't okay. cringy and fit, then do it if you have the capability. If you don't, mm-hmm like the priority should probably be still doing YouTube videos and longer form videos because those do show authority back to like the Tilson example. Those videos work so well for them to me, not because it's that topic or that topic, but it's because it shows that Tilson, the builder is the expert. They are the authority. They're the only one putting mm-hmm. that much time and effort into it. So even mm-hmm. if other people come out with like a series of 10 videos, it's like, well, this builder has, let's say, I think 80 videos and say they're two hours each, 160 hours of video content 
and that group yeah. has five. So it's like, who's, who knows what, like the one who has done it longer, more consistently, and just goes very deep into the topic. So I think that's where builders can, if they're looking at video, like just think about the different facets of why mm -hmm. would people want this? They want to be entertained. They want to be educated. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do to get more trust or mm -hmm. people to come to our site, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Yeah. And then create and the concept like based on that. Time. And now's a great time to start kind yeah. of moving into that direction as we start to hit quarter four. Yeah, and, and things start which slowing is down. And New year, budget New time. Year. Time to think about your budget. budget. Oh, that's a no theme. pressure. Anyone that's listening to this, word. go get it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Create your list. A list of what? Yes. Yeah, you have your, have your dreams and goals in there, but also have your attainable everyday things that you you know you can check off. For example, quick little thing mm -hmm. on budget because I'm working on a a blog post that will be up next week on mm. Google. Um, mm -hmm. and I know it's budget season, definitely think more for Google because costs are going to rise. It's inevitable yes. as demand gets lower for homes, but builders want more people to search. They will be bidding more. They'll want mm -hmm. to spend more and then bids are going to increase. Costs will increase. Like it's, it's just, you can look back through all the history. Like it's just what happens. You know, there's there's less supply, there's more demand prices go mm -hmm. up. Like we saw that mm -hmm. and we still see it now with the housing mm -hmm. and everything. That's just, you know, economics 101 type mm -hmm. of conversation. So definitely, I don't even, I'm nervous to say a number, but like if you added only 10% to your Google budget, I think it should be more like 20, 30, 40. That could be a big, scary number, 40%. But and are you, if you're are spending you saying, two grand per month, maybe you have to spend 2,800 to get the same. But let's say you're selling 200 homes. Are you saying like, mm -hmm. if you're selling the same exact amount of homes year over year, that is what you should be doing? Or should it like, um, I'm saying if you, if you're like, oh, just, we'll just match what we did. See all these years are so weird because people yeah, are like, 2020, people that, ignore like, that. Mm -hmm. that don't have ads running because they don't need to. So it's like, what do you, what do you do? But if you, if your cost per click, let's do it this way. If your cost per click now is $1.50 on Google or a dollar, mm -hmm. I believe strongly that saying February, March, that will be like $1.80 or $2. It's going to increase. And so if you still need X amount of traffic to your site to meet your goals based on how many your conversion rates and how many home sites you have and how many homes you need to sell, mm -hmm. with Google being X percent of that total traffic. I'm doing like mm -hmm. a whole formula in my head that needs yeah, to be like an Excel file or something. I'm thinking You're about an algorithm. 20, 20, 30, 40% more if Google is yeah. going to make that up. But that's where like, this is like a, we could talk for hours on this. If your content's better, if everything else is better, that leads to a higher conversion rate, then you could put money into that instead of into Google. And that'd mm -hmm. be better. Anyway, so Let's it's- go squirrel away for winter. There's so many what it is. directions so, to yeah. go. Save all your stuff. Create as much content yep. as you can. The storm is, winter is coming. And you need to reusable like, content, mm -hmm. content that you can reuse and as well, which is educational, which is super helpful. Yep. All right. And then <laughs> on to the next one. This is also from The Verge. And I don't know how we find everything from The Verge. I'm never on there unless Not it, they just, you know what I think it is, no. is they, they write their headlines really well. They're not clickbaity. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they just, my brain likes them. Jackie, I think your brain yeah. likes them, whatever it is. So this one is titled, this is also from The Verge. Automated hiring software is mistakenly rejecting millions of viable job candidates. Yeah, and that comes up because we know there are more than a few builders who are, there's still a labor shortage. They're looking for people mm -hmm. either internally or they're looking for trades. And so, um, you, you know, I think sometimes there's a positive and negative. This is more negative towards AI in terms of um, 
what it's doing is getting the resumes and then immediately rejecting candidates based off of um, data in the resume that needs more of a personal, I think, view of, they give an example, I believe, of someone had six months of not working. It turns out that Mm -hmm. person was on a maternity leave, but it was immediately rejected because that just looks negative to the AI of someone who is not um, good at consistently holding down a job. And so I think it comes along with um, just when nature yeah, yeah, and home building. You know, we people keep thinking that you can automate so much in in home purchasing and home buying, and um, you still need that people element. You still need the online yep. sales element. You still need these conversations to happen of the why behind the story of the resume. And you can't lean on AI to to solve every problem. And that kind of goes it's along to emotional experience. And humans have the emotional yes. connection that mm-hmm. they can get to connect play. to. We'll do mini debate. No, we're not doing well, mini that debate. Well, that was, that was, that was. The I, catalyst for these systems yeah, is yeah. this figure is like 250 applications per job. No. Mm-hmm. How do you weed through that effectively? Yeah. Or what, but really what like the point of this article is like, we need to have more grace or human element to the we'll algorithm, or at least like it. applicants that had a job, whatever, I forgot the word would be like, where they, they had a, this gap in employment categorize them so they could be manually reviewed somehow where it's like, just not just like automatically kicking it out. Um, but mm-hmm. they're still like, I see 250. Imagine if you're, you're in HR, you're like, I have 20 positions to fill 20 times mm-hmm. 50. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and, and I, I was telling the team. So my husband has been a tech technical recruiter for 10 plus years. I should probably know this, right? I'm married to him forever. <laughs> a long time. Um, 10 plus, long time. It's 10 plus, plus years. It's don't 10, 15, know 20. Anymore. And so, so how, how they kind of filter through job applications and as builders are looking for more people yeah. in the roles, obviously, you know, if you get a significant amount of applications, you, there does need to become, um, there, there is a filter program that usually filters mm-hmm. people through and, and then there's the conversation, but yes, you're mm-hmm. right. There does maybe need to be a, a, a manual there, but I also really liked startup because I thought this was like, AI, you know, like here's how AI isn't helping people get jobs. But then mm-hmm. we have a story of how recently we just did an experiment of how AI slash Facebook ads are helping a builder finally fill yeah. those positions. And so, yeah, they went it, all in. On they went Facebook. all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting. Up, and they previously had Google running, which did work. Um, Google running as far as like XYZ and then the word jobs, career job openings, mm-hmm. any word you could think of, it was running and that was okay. But then Facebook really took off. Um, and what this, this is for trades. Um, and what they did that, that I was interesting and I agreed with it and I, I thought they should do it. Mm-hmm. Like this, the hourly rate was in there. Yeah. It was, it's all, it's like, mm-hmm. we talked about like, put the price setting this time. So yeah. you save time. And this thing to me, the wages, I'm like, this is great. Like it's yeah. experience level. Everything was right there in the ad. And so it got lots of traction because it's like the pay was above average experience. Like it was honest mm-hmm. with what the opening was and yeah, they've been running for a while now. They're extremely happy. So if you're, yeah. Do you think anything, the fact that it they are on a positive side, they are paying right. And they, the qualifications they are asking for are not unreasonable is what gave the positive outcome. I think, what do you think would happen if the roles were reversed? I think they would. And Ooh, this is, maybe I shouldn't say this. We could delete it. If you are underpaying and you're mm-hmm. expecting too much, then yeah, you deserve to not have good results. Mm-hmm. Like Which, that's yeah. like 
people yeah. need, I'm not saying like someone should be making $50 an hour. Who's at no. entry level position at McDonald's. That's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like you need to pay what people are worth. And if you want to mm-hmm. underpay, mm-hmm. then you don't deserve to have well, great applicants. But so, mm-hmm. so here's, here's how I, I think it applies to the marketers and business owners working in. You mm-hmm. can be the hero right now. If you are having a labor short, if you were having trouble yeah. getting trades or getting people mm-hmm. marketing, not to say you're going to solve the problem, but you can increase the like amount of song. applications. If you, if you, if you do some experimental marketing with trying to attract people to your company and same thing when, when you post at home or community, you mm-hmm. want to have the starting at price because you don't want 250 applicants per one job is what yes. that article was showing. You want the most qualified people for that position to already qualify themselves. So you don't have to do the heavy lifting. And I think mm-hmm. so right now, if there are creative solutions and ad solutions, you can be running and it, mm-hmm. it is in your best interest, obviously, to not try and just catch them all. You want to create yep. a very um is that a Pokemon? Uh, yeah, it was a Pokemon reference. Okay. <laughs> I was a I was a kid. Um, you want to have a very Gosh. good um a, a bucket of qualified, high quality leads. And right now, yeah. if Facebook ads can solve that problem for not, you know, not that expensive, if you have the right messaging, and I think that goes Definitely. along with the whole DYC, you just have to have the right messaging, get qualified leads, and then you have that person who actually is overlooking and 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 looking at the applicants and hopefully upon the AI system, just rejecting people who might've been qualified is yep. another. And the caveat for mm-hmm. the Facebook ads is employment ads are under the special ad category. So mm-hmm. you'll have limited targeting, which is- Do your homework. Correct. But it's, it's, it's exact same as housing, like mm-hmm. 15 mile radius, all that stuff. I think the radius should be brought down, but mm-hmm. maybe over time they'll change that. It's just like 15 miles for me is like, that's over the bridge. People don't do that. Like if they don't yeah, have it's to. a lot of traffic, it can be a lot of traffic depending on the region or yeah. location. Imagine like DC. Yeah. But oh again, goodness. when you're yeah. adding the right content and right information and location, exact location into your ad, mm-hmm. that, you know, you might get comments of that's nowhere near me. That's not the person we're trying to attract anyway. We're trying to get that person mm-hmm. and then create, would you say an unbounced landing page to collect? Yeah, somehow yeah. to, yeah, somehow. Your yeah, landing you page or send it to you know, your job application page software. on your website. Yeah. Yep. You want yeah, you want to call to action with that. And legit looking page. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen some that are like, uh, is this real? Is it not real? You don't want it to appear as even though like the ad won't look as such, but like mm-hmm. I've definitely seen pages that are for employment and it looks like a MLM, like you're signing up mm-hmm. to sell like a mm-hmm. like nice door to door trimming oil thing like or a something. Quick creepy. upload. Like you've yeah. just seen a quick upload, upload your resume. Exactly. And then if you're yeah. interested in, in AI, I, I watched this, it was like three or four months ago. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called coded bias. And it's, to me, it's interesting. I think all marketers should watch it because it's like, this is what we do to be mm-hmm. aware of it, mm-hmm. but it's essentially like how some, some algorithms could. They're not bias. perfect. They're not yeah. perfect. Yeah. And so you're, you watch it and you're like, like facial recognition software in like UK mm-hmm. where there's CC cameras all over the mm-hmm. place. You're like, Oh, I had no idea. And so it's like the accuracy of like, different people and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And you're like, this is crazy. And, yeah. but it affects the point of the documentary was to show like, this has a effect Potential. on society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. So same type of thing. This is the same conversation that the automated systems are affects humans and people. It's not just saving time. It's like, this is yeah. preventing someone from making a living. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is it for the news.
And join us after the break where Kevin Oakley talks with Jeff Rutt, CEO of Keystone Custom Homes and the founder of Hope International, and Matthew Baer, Executive Director of Homes for Hope, to discuss how to do the most with what you have when it comes to getting involved with helping others outside of the home building industry. Stay tuned. All right, everyone. Today, we have not one, but two amazing guests. Jeff Rutt, the CEO of Keystone Custom Homes, founder and chairman at Hope International, founder at Homes for Hope, an amazing uh, father to Ben uh, Rutt as well, who has been on the podcast and just won one of the inaugural Market Proof Marketing Awards for Best Virtual Online Community Release. So fantastic job there. And uh, Matt Baer, the executive director at Homes for Hope. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Yeah, Jeff has been on my list to talk to for quite a while, um, but he, as you can tell by his his title, he's a or titles, he's a busy individual. And I just want to start off actually by by looping everyone into to kind of how we wrapped this year's summit, at least on the marketing side, was uh, a quick personal challenge for me to get involved in something beyond home building because. As much as we love home building, everything about it, it's not like a four-quarter sporting event uh, that has a definitive beginning and end. It's it's exhausting in the sense that it, as soon as you finish one community, the next one is comes right around. Right, every salesperson, sales manager is only as good as the current month's result, mm. and so there's a pace to it where you you never get the same sense of accomplishment that you can have if you begin to peel off a percentage of time. My personal goal is to have 30% of my time over the next two years dedicated to, to nonprofit and, and missions work. But finding a way to invest in people or causes around you with some of the same skill sets. And I gave the same challenge three years ago and someone called me up a week later and said, I just want to let you know that meant a lot to me and I quit my job, <laughs> which, which added a new level of um, cerebral concern about the, how, how we talk about this subject, but it was the right decision for her. And so I just wanted to throw that out there as a way to transition kind of into this is not going to be just home builder talk, but kind of how do we do the most with what we have? And the other thing that I'd like to toss in here, so you both know where I'm coming from, is that it's also okay to feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a book called Desiring God by John Piper uh, that basically says, you know, the idea that we should not find joy and fulfillment in doing important work is a crazy one that, that you want to allow that joy. And and so the idea of just donating electronically to a fund on an auto pay schedule, well, that's good because the resources are getting where they need to go, but there is zero joy because I forget that it's even there if that's how I'm. And so that was how the Oakleys kind of started down our, our path with our involvement in Guatemala was, no, this is crazy. We we want to get involved in something that we can see those results and find joy in the giving. So hmm. having said that, Jeff, uh, I, I was doing additional research on the background and you started Keystone in 1992. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And it, w- it was only five short years later, according to LinkedIn, which is the source of all business truth, that you started <laughs> Hope International. 
That's right. How does someone who starts a home building organization, as difficult as that is to get off the ground, pivot that fast to saying, I'm going to start a nonprofit too? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you for taking the time to, to spend with Matt and I today. I'd love to come back to your question, but circle back to something you said earlier. Yeah. You mentioned Ben. So I'd love to uh, throw out challenges and deep questions whenever we get together as a family. So we were on vacation recently and, and I told the kids they all had an assignment and there was a big sigh, like, oh no, not another one of your assignments. <laughs> so I told them we wanted to spend some of our meal time as we were breaking bread together with the, the six grandkids running around and, and the six parents running around after them. Uh, to think about the question, uh, if you were to have a letter written from your spouse or one of your children 20 years from now that described your life in two different ways. One, where you were thriving, you were pursuing Jesus, pursuing your career, just doing well, healthy and in all, all the domains, and just have a letter written from your spouse or from your child to you and just describing that, you know, what you look like. And then write a separate letter where you kind of weren't thriving. You kind of mm -hmm. went, went off the tracks. Uh, and then that's 20 years from now. And then how could you apply that? You know, what, what would you like to be true and, and, and the areas that you would like to be thriving in 20 years from now? And then like, let's reel that back into today. What can you still do today in your habits and your practices and the processes and, and just the way you use your time, which we all have 24 hours of that could make a difference, you know, 20 mm -hmm. years from now, which is a long time, but little steps in those minutes uh, make a big difference. So I would love to, you know, I've had a lot of different reactions from that. And, and I think if we all think in terms, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, and how it impacts those closest to us. But I, Kevin, uh, it's exciting to hear some of the, the thought provoking direction that, that you've been challenging people to go. Uh, actually, for me, uh, long before starting Keystone, I had been focused on uh, just how can I use the resources that God's uh, entrusted me with to manage. I've never really looked at the resources God's uh, you know entrusted me with as mine. I've always mm -hmm. looked at myself as a manager, and I think looking through that lens, uh, starting you know starting Keystone and uh, seeing, you know, God blessing that business, I've always looked for ways to, how can we leverage that up? How can we use that to impact lives uh, in all the domains, personally, spiritually, socially, materially, uh, in some of the neediest places on earth? And uh, we've had lots of uh, failures and successes along the way. And uh, yeah, we actually uh, started out uh, in the mid nineties before starting hope by sending containers of food and medical supplies to mm. a, uh, small group of people who we had learned to love and gotten to know in Ukraine. And we hit all five of the principles that Robert Lepton talks about in his book, toxic charity. Uh, the first gift that we sent, there was appreciation and everybody was happy. We, as the donors checked it off their list and we were celebrating, aren't we awesome? You know, and then the second second level of that toxic charity. So first you have appreciation, then anticipation, expectation, entitlement, and then full-blown dependency. We hit all five of them. Like, mm. Exactly. And we hadn't even read the book yet. Um, <laughs> so went back and, you know, long journey, make a long story short, you know, 
saw some other places around the world that Christ-centered microenterprise was working, started making that happen in Ukraine, uh, a family that we got connected with, uh, a huge God thing, uh, moved there with their family, started small, but uh, we had a huge celebration when uh, we, we gave out the first 20 loans. Uh, but uh, Paul Marty, our president, executive director at the time, called me and said, Jeff, I got good news and bad news. The good news is this is going to work. Things are, things are starting to really uh, thrive here. And uh, he said, the bad news is you need to send more cash. And because uh, there's a lot of people lined up to, to receive these loans and to, to grow and, you know, uh, holistically. So we looked around and said, who do we know? Uh, we know builders. Uh, so we got together and started, uh, started with our own company sending letters to all of our trade contractors and said, we're not asking you for a check uh, to send, but would you be interested in doing what you do, what you're really good at, what God's blessed you with, your skills, your abilities, and your talents, and put it into a home that could be sold and those profits go to uh, the work of Hope International. And we just got uh, overwhelming, tremendous outpouring of support uh, through that program that uh, process. So that was the, the birth of, of uh, Homes for Hope. Got it. So the, the setup is using the skills that we have to, to build things and develop things. And I also think there's something interesting about any nonprofit that I've interacted with, uh, religious or not. Um, so many of the challenges they struggle with are logistical and, um, and financial challenges that are extremely similar to someone who looks at a field or a mountain and says, wouldn't it be cool to put a thousand houses in there? You know, just that, <laughs> that vision, uh, and, and the willingness to tackle really big challenges. Mm -hmm. Anytime I talk with anyone, they're like, well, that's exactly the kind of people we need. We need builders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so taking that enterprise, building a home, and then how, how is the home sold typically? Or is that up to, is that vary by the individuals and how they do it, whether it's a raffle or a giveaway or a, a best and final offer? Kind of how does that? Yeah. So sim similar to uh, just the way that they would normally sell that home. So okay. it, there's no difference. Um, so we, we've, we've kind of uh, looked at it and said, and through, this is, you know, through bumps in the road and success and failures, uh, we've, we've said, we're going to have the same trades normally that are building that home work with that builder. So they use all the same trades, all the same processes, all the same materials, and they would, they're going to sell it to the same buyer too. So the home, if you looked at it in a cul-de-sac of other homes, it's not going to look any differently. We happen to believe that it's a little bit more blessed. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's going to be, that home is special in a lot of ways because the, the contractors and trades and suppliers will have either discounted or donated their time and or materials. And the builder most likely will have donated his, uh, profits and overhead to the cause. And then, uh, the net, so all those net profits end up going to the, uh, to Hope International to, um, impact lives. At some point, and, and I, I, I want to fit in with your schedule here, but at some point I'd love to tell you the end, like at the very end, like what, how it 
really, truly changes life. Yes, 100%. I want to get to that. I just, knowing that our audience is full of really smart people and smart people tend to be skeptical. Some would say healthy skepticism, some would say not. I just want to give you an opportunity to to share just a few more specifics about how Keystone and you specifically um, give outside of this typical model we're going to be talking about of of builders building a house. Because there could be people thinking, well, this is... You know, Jeff, Matt, and Kevin got together in a room and they thought, let's try to convince builders to use their time and energy and resources to help this mm. nonprofit that is uh, founded and, and chaired by Jeff. So just talk talk as much as you feel comfortable about the the financial setup of Keystone and 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 kind of yeah. just lay it out there so people really have a sense of of where you're at. Yeah. So about uh Let's see, two and a half years ago, uh, we, we had uh, looked at a whole bunch of options. And without setting up too much of, of the why and how we got there uh, as a group, and you know, Ben and I got together first and said, we would like to kind of paper the truth. You know, our, our, we believe that our business is, is the purpose of our profit is to help others. What if and and yet the IRS kept sending us these these crazy <laughs> you know income tax bills right um, and so we looked at it uh, actually had the example of a tremendous individual by the name of Alan Barnhart did this with a, a large two hundred fifty million dollar crane company about ten years ago hmm. uh, so we followed his example did a lot of research uh, so on March twenty third of two thousand nineteen. We donated 89% of the non-voting stock in Keystone Custom Homes and all of our affiliates to the National Christian Foundation Charitable Trust. It actually went specifically to a donor advised fund. Uh, so that that fund, that donor advised fund, which is affectionately called the Hopefuls Donor Advised Fund, uh, is uh, owns 89% of the, the non-voting stock uh, of our, our building enterprise. So nothing really changed from a control standpoint. We still operate the business the same way. You wouldn't, like if you walked in on March 24th, you wouldn't have seen anything different. Yeah. Um, I actually had been told this, but, but believe it even more now since I've experienced it, it didn't make any difference on the way that I work or care about the business. If anything, I feel like I'm pressing harder on that accelerator because mm-hmm. it's doing so much to uh, focus on if we're doing it, it has caused so much clarity in why we do what we do that uh, the, the passion has even grow, grown even stronger and our team's excited about it. Um, the downside is I can't pull those resources out to go buy a jet. So <laughs> right. there's no, yeah. I can't building, building Ben and his wife and another house is not, not considered a charitable uh, that's right. Venture. Yes, that's right. No lake houses or, or uh, you know, yachts. Uh, but I believe, you know, I believe in doing your given while you're living. So, you know, and where it's going. And there's uh, there's so much joy in that. There's clarity in it. We uh, we can continue to grow the business and the profits truly have a purpose. We're excited uh, to, to see that continue to grow. That's Jeff, awesome. real quick, could you describe how a donor advised fund works for people who might not be familiar with that? Yeah, so this is a a little bit of a 
donor advised fund on steroids, but a typical donor advised fund is you uh, invest in that fund. And then as profits come out of that, or you decide to pull cash out for giving, you're the donor. So you advise where it goes. Uh, And the National Christian Foundation is an awesome organization that creates the framework for that, but individual donor advised funds can be set up inside of that framework. And uh, you, whenever you decide to make a gift to Hope International or Habitat for Humanity, uh, whatever it is, you know, your local rescue mission, whatever it is, you, you know, advise. Yeah. The way that I like to think about it is it it removes the time constraints of giving. So, so many people are trying to figure out, okay, I want to give this money to a nonprofit organization before the clock strikes midnight and it doesn't count as a tax deduction for this year. So then you start just throwing money at what seems like a good decision, but you don't see a real need at that point where this lets, this lets your money grow. Right. Uh, so, so you're, you're giving the money, you're donating the money and, and getting that um, tax deduction at the time the money enters the donor advised fund, but then it can grow tax-free and then continue to be directed outside of that fund back to the nonprofits that, that need it when they need it. Cause yes. part of the challenge always in any charitable activity is uh, I was on the, I was on a board of a, an organization in Pittsburgh for many years that, that ran schools for, uh, mentally uh, challenged individuals of, of all ages. And the problem was that everyone who gave money wanted to be personally involved. But how do you get people who are unskilled and untrained to interact with, with people of all different mental capacities? You can't just throw them in the school and let them, you know, hang out for a while because when something happens, like it, it is, it's just really hard to, to match timing up on, on, on need. Uh, yes. Outside of cash, and that's why so many people go back to cash. And so uh, I think that's one of the cool things about donor advised funds is just the ability to, to remove that constraint out and say the money will be there when it's necessary. Um, yeah. And that's awesome. Okay, Matt, let's shift over to uh, Homes for Hope and specifically how you work with builders. So if you're a builder and you're thinking, I, I'm digging this idea of getting personally involved in in making um both my employees and, and my contractors are able to be involved in something that, that makes their world a better place simply by, by doing this and then selling the home and, and donating those profits to an organization that's helping fund micro loans to businesses all over the globe. Your, your job, I think from our initial chat is to try to make that process as smooth and easy as possible, but tell, tell us more. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you said that you challenged the people at your event to get involved in something beyond home building. And one of the things that I love about Homes for Hope is they can do what they're already good at. They yeah. they don't have to quit their job and move across the world to serve people. They can go to work and uh, do you know do what they're good at. It's, it's entrepreneurs essentially investing in entrepreneurs and. So they can go to work, they build, go through their normal process of building, marketing, and selling a home. But then rather than taking that profit and investing it back into their own vi- business, they then get to take it and invest it in thousands of businesses, um, of entrepreneurs around the world who are living in poverty. So that's one of our distinctives is that it's not just helping one family at a time, but you're actually able to help thousands of families with one house. Um, 
And so the way it essentially works is a builder will identify a lot and an elevation, a community, and they'll say, this is, this is our Homes for Hope project. And we'll hold an event for their trade partners and suppliers and uh, local politicians, et cetera, to come and we'll cast vision for the work of what we're doing, share some stories of impact and ask them to commit to donate or discount their services on the build. And we'll also hold a groundbreaking and go through all that fun stuff. Um, And then they'll build the home. And at the end of the process, uh, once the home is sold, we'll have a ribbon cutting ceremony. And that's really exciting because we have everybody in the room together. It's the the builder team, the people who built the home, all the trades, and the people who purchased the home are all in the room. It's a really powerful moment when you go through and say, okay, who's here? Who, and what did you do on the house? And, um, the people are talking about how they contributed to this house. And then we're able to announce the the resulting donation and how many lives that'll impact. Um, and it's amazing because, uh, the, with the way that microfinance works and the way we have it set up around the world, um, we have a 98% repayment rate on our loans. So not, and then that money, once it's repaid, gets sent back out as more loans. Yeah. So, so the money, I know you're going to keep going here, but I just want to say that again, very slowly. Yeah. Because when people <laughs> hear the word micro loans mm-hmm. to a third world or second world country, yeah. what they think is that's just a fancy marketing way of saying charity. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. you're saying is, no, this is, these are actually loans and mm-hmm. loans do get repaid. And so that primary capital, 98% of it comes back. So I just wanted to reiterate that very, very clearly for everyone that this is something that continues on, but now, yeah. you, can, now you continue on. <laughs> yeah, well, and then it would be very uncomfortable for me to go to a builder and say, hey, I want you to donate the profit off the sale of a home. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? If the money was a one-off, if it was given and then it went away, but because it continues to recycle and um, at, at a rate, 98% repayment, it's just, you, you don't hear of that kind of results. It's amazing, the return on investment. So the money gets uh, paid back and then sent back out as more loans. So um, Hope International is our parent organization of, of Homes for Hope. Homes for Hope exists as a niche fundraising arm of Hope International. And so Hope, over the course of our history, um, has raised around $200 million, but we've been able to disperse $1.36 billion um, in loans. So uh, it just speaks to the efficacy of our work. Uh, our COO was telling me yesterday, even, um, that if, if it was just a one-off handout, if that's the way we approached our work, it would cost us more than $70 million per year to do our work. Um, wow. But because the money recycles are uh, what we're trying to raise this year is around 22 million. Um, and that, that enables us to do our work around the world. So uh, it's, it's amazingly effective. Um, I think unique in the nonprofit world. Um, another thing that I love about this work is that it wasn't Jeff's idea. You know, the pastor of the church in the Ukraine is the one who told him your helping is hurting us. The local businesses can't compete with free. Is there a way that you can help us help ourselves? So this isn't like some Western idea that we can't, that we helicoptered in and said, Hey, you guys should do this. Uh, We're not telling people what businesses they should start. You know, they already know what their businesses want or what their communities want and need. And we are just coming along and investing in their businesses. 
another way I like to think about it too, is the whole, um, give a man a fish, a leap for a day, teach a man a fish, a leap for a lifetime. The people that were serving already know how to fish quote unquote, right? What we're doing is we're investing in their fishing businesses. Yeah, hundred percent. And we, uh, on our third trip to Guatemala, we were able to go back to the same village. We, one of the same villages we started with and, um, the, the gentleman that we had just helped kind of get off his feet now had his own bread business, um, because he, his family had learned how to bake bread. Mm-hmm. We, we helped him get the finances, uh, via loan to, to get a, a bread oven, a proper bread oven built, mm-hmm. uh, helped him get a very inexpensive motorcycle to deliver said bread. And so now you're, like you said, you're solving multiple and, and of course motorcycle breaks down, but, uh, we don't have to help him with another motorcycle because now he has the funds to, to get it repaired himself. And uh, absolutely. And then what do his children learn from that? Right. Well, they well, see one, they're all working in the business and I, we have, exactly. I don't know about the financial system there. I'm, I'm assuming he's paying his children. That's, that's a joke. I know you are. Um, <laughs> but how many home building organizations have been involved in the homes for hope process up to this point? Yeah. So we have, I don't know the exact number of businesses over the years, but we've um, completed over 163 builds since our founding, um, which has been, which has been amazing. And uh, Homes for Hope specifically has raised $21.2 million over the course of that time through the generosity of the building industry. So Uh, up until about 2006, all of the capital, all of the income for Hope International came through the building industry. That's awesome. Some church humor that I think you guys will appreciate. But one of the things that I always notice is that whenever a church goes through a building campaign, uh, for those of you who don't attend a church, every once in a while, um, people want to build a new structure. Mm -hmm. And suddenly um, we start seeing all kinds of stories about how uh, financial giving to the church, uh, it's like every week, look, we're helping this family do this. We're doing this great activity. And I'm like, where, where was that? update and, and information over the past like three years when we weren't doing a building campaign. Uh-huh. So they're kind of priming the pump of like, Hey, your, your investment here is doing great things. Jeff, kind of back to what you were saying, what, what, how, what does it finally look like? And as builders participate in this process, um, how do you guys make sure that they continue to feel connected to, to what's happening? Yeah. Well, the, the connection, I would really encourage anyone who has already participated or is thinking about participating, join us on a, one of our trips. We take a lot of trips to the front line, uh, both in Dominican Republic, and we take trips every so often to our work in Zimbabwe or Rwanda. Uh, but come out, come along and, and see the work. Um, at the other way we try to stay connected is just regular updates uh, with, you know, video, uh, with our our messaging, you know, back from Matt. One of the things that uh, I think is so important is thinking about, you know, as Covey says, you start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would, as you think about building a home for hope, think about where it's going to end and where the, where those resources are going to end up. A uh, couple examples. First of all, you talked about a bakery. We we have a uh, a client in Haiti actually. Uh, not that far from the epicenter of the recent earthquake, mm. who, uh, his name's John Mark, received a small loan to buy a bag of flour. Flour is really expensive in Haiti. Uh, and started a, a bread baking business. He rented an old, it was like a 200-year-old kiln 
that uh, he had access to. We were there and it was the best bread you've ever tasted. Uh, but his his dream was to, through the profits from that bakery, he wasn't asking for toxic charity, no gifts involved. Just He was looking for a loan to buy his first bag of flour, paid that back, continued to grow the business. Uh, but his dream was that his two young boys uh, would be able to go to the university there in Port-au-Prince and break that cycle of poverty. Hmm. So very, uh, it, it's exciting to hear examples. I'm, I want to give you a couple more. Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, one of the easiest ones to, to kind of relate to in my mind is Anastasia in uh, Burundi, who uh, had two little girls. A um, lot of this, a lot of what we do impacts kids, but it comes through their, their parents yeah. in their context, instead of like parachuting uh, stuff, food, medical supplies, whatever in, we're helping those parents take care of their own kids, which is, I think, Kevin and Matt, the way we would want to take care of our kids, not have somebody else take care of our kids. There's so much joy and, and uh, just satisfaction. And I believe that's the, God, that's the way God made us. Uh, but Anastasia's two little girls weren't going to be able to go to school. Her and her husband's meager income could not uh, sustain it. And the cost of school was going to be too high. Um, Anastasia learned about an opportunity where she could buy chairs, just a little, you think about, think of a plastic uh, chair that you sit on your backyard for a dollar a piece. She wanted to buy 20 of them and lease them out to couples getting married. Uh, Now, I don't know about you. When I first heard (laughs) of that idea, I thought this is not, this is a terrible idea. We're third poorest country in the world. Why are we talking about chairs? Let's get, but turns out, Unfortunately, Hope International's loan officers and group leaders and uh, administrators are all indigenous to the areas that we serve, not just the countries but the or the territories, but the actual villages where they work. Mm-hmm. Anastasia's loan officer knew that that was actually a good idea, that although there's a lot of poverty, a lot of need, weddings are a big deal in, in Burundi. There, you have like three-day weddings and people need to sit down. So they would rent these chairs for their wedding. Uh, and so her loan officer approved a $20 loan. The chairs were a dollar a piece. Um, fast forward to today, she has 200 chairs, 200 place settings, 200 baskets, and three wedding dresses, a small, medium, and large, uh, that she leases out to these couples getting married. And she's just thriving in her business. And her dream is that those two little girls will go to the university there in Bujumbura, Burundi. <clears throat> and again, break that cycle of poverty. So it's really cool to see the results that true um, hard work, applying the resources, the ingenuity, the creativity, the entrepreneurship that we as home builders have on the front line and to see it really repeat itself. And that's how $200 million gets leveraged up to $1.3 billion. Yeah. So... <clears throat> One of the things I love about this work is, um, so I travel around the country and talk to builders at events. Um, and I'll always ask the question who invested in you mm-hmm. and it never fails. What the way people answer that question is not, you know, this banker gave me money so I could start a business. It's always, they always point to a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this person invested in me personally, which 
gave me the drive and the work ethic I had to, to arrive at where I am today, et cetera. And the work that we do is always in the context of relationship. There was another um, woman in, in the Dominican Republic who had a business, had a fish hatchery where she sold beta fish. And uh, so she was providing colorful pets for people's homes, but it was also helping to control the mosquito population because mosquitoes would come lay eggs in the water. The fish would eat the eggs. And so there, it was this, this, she was meeting a need that her community had. Um, well, she was, uh, this is back in 2018. We found out, um, uh, we, where we came into a relationship prior to that, uh, she was robbed twice and was experienced bankruptcy, wasn't able to feed her family. And so her only course of action was to move to an entire new village and start over. And in that new village, she got involved with, um, the local church and the local church was partnered with our partner in the D Dominican Republic called Esperanza. And so through that, she was able to obtain a loan and receive business training and relaunch her business. And again, it was thriving. She was able to expand the footprint of her business. She was with the profits. She was able to build a home for her family. Um, and then COVID-19 hit and people didn't have the disposable income to buy pets anymore. And so within her, within her church, uh, her church and Esperanza identified a need for uh, what, what was happening in that, in that village was people had to travel five miles to the next village to get essential supplies like water, medical supplies, et cetera. And so they, um, Anna and her, and her family in partnership with the local church opened up a local grocery store where she was able to provide some of the, for some of these needs and the, the grocery store thrived. Um, she, and she was able to provide over a thousand, um, families in her community with food and PPE and medical supplies that they needed during this really crucial time. And so she went from not being able to, to provide for her own family, feed her kids to getting to a place in the middle of a pandemic where she was able to feed uh, over a thousand families, right. And, and meet this need in her community. And so now her dream is, uh, her daughter, her daughters have also joined, um, the same, uh, solidarity group that she's in and they're getting, receiving the, this business training. Her daughter wants to get a plot of lands near nearby and open up another grocery store. Anna wants to change her current grocery store into a wholesale, <laughs> um, club. And she wants to go to business school and, uh, re receive training that way. And, um, so you can see like there, there are multiple cycles here of there needing to be relief and then recovery and development. And it's all done in the context of relationships since back in, in 2018 through to today. And there's, you know, our, our average loan size is around 300 and $306. Uh, and so that's what we're saying when you, and it only costs us as an organization, $36 to serve one family for a year. So when we say that you're with one home, the profit that you're able to generate with one home, we're, we're able to serve thousands of families like Anna's and like Anastasia's and, um, and John Mark, you said Jeff was the yep. bread maker, yep. uh, thousands of these stories with just one home. And that's why we're so excited about this one. Yeah. Well, a couple, couple quick thoughts. One, uh, Jeff, apparently it is a universal truth that renting chairs for weddings is always highly profitable because we actually have some, uh, builder friends of ours who own, uh, golf course venues, uh, and have wedding rental businesses. And he will tell you that his highest margin offering is, is wedding chair rentals. So, uh, there you go. And, <laughs> and then Matt, 
the other interesting thing about that is again, our, our last trip to Guatemala, um, one of the days there were, um, uh, protests that shut down all of the major roads, pretty common occurrence in, in the country. And mm -hmm. so we weren't able to do what we the original plan was and go to a particular village. Um, the compound that we were staying in, uh, was cleaned by a, a lady who had just knocked on, uh, the team's door when they first moved to the area and was like, I just need a job. I'll do anything. Um, and so they were, she, she was there cleaning. She said, well, I know some people a couple blocks away from where we are right now, uh, actually in the neighborhood that I live in. And we could go take some of the, the supplies, uh, to just kind of, uh, emergency food, uh, kits, uh, to some people down, just down the street. And so we went there and, um, she became extremely emotional because she said, this is the first time that I've ever been able to give back to my own people. Mm. And this never would have hit my radar. I mean, I'm working day to day, week to week, just to try to provide for my, my immediate family and my children and grandchildren and all the people that I'm responsible for, because I'm one of the few that has a steady job. And so the idea of giving extra to my neighbors and, and those around mm -hmm. me, um, and, and so that was a bigger impact than anything that we were bringing that one day to her was the ability to see that she could continue to, to do the same thing. So that mm -hmm. makes complete sense of, of, of all the things you guys are describing. Yeah. Kevin, can I share one more quick story? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I love sharing examples. Cliff has about <laughs> a million clients right now around the world in, six, in 15 of the, the toughest places on earth, uh, really tough countries to, to work in. But Marie is one of her clients in Burundi. Uh, her husband died a couple of years ago. And in Burundi, in her part of the world, uh, when your husband dies, uh, there's the option for the husband's family to take the, the house and your property, especially if you didn't have children or if you didn't have boys. And in her case, she had girls. Mm. So they took her home. She was left you know, out of a home. A church took her in, I, I believe providentially, it was a church that was starting a uh, Hope Savings Group where we have the Welcome Worship Word, Work and Wrap Up, the five W's. She got involved, prayed together with these uh, the other folks in the group, uh, saved together. She got a, a job just cleaning and working in fields and was making about 50 cents a day. Uh, and as a part of the group, she said, well, I can't save much, but I can save 25 cents a week. And I, I know you're a numbers guy, Kevin. If you do that math, it's like 10 times better than any, anybody here in the, in the West. Mm -hmm. uh, but she eventually got to the point where she earned the right to borrow from the group $5 to start her uh, a business selling avocados and bananas. Uh, grew it to, she bought a goat. I wish I could show you a picture of her <laughs> smile. She bought a goat, grew a goat herd. Marie then bought a cow. She grew her businesses. She had some rental property. Today, she has 15 employees, but here's the cool part of the story. Talk about the joy of giving back. She found out that her deceased husband's family was in trouble financially, mm. that some of the members of that family forgave them, had compassion on them and helped them out financially, but even better, got them connected to their own savings group. So just a cool story of just basic survival to success, to significance and forgiveness and giving back. But I want you to think about Marie. If we would have handed her like a hundred bucks or, or whatever and said, Marie, here's, I know you're in trouble. You're probably not capable of, of you know, taking care of yourself. We're going to take care of you for you. Uh, think about how that would have impacted. Her girls are back in school now, by the way. Her girls are thriving. They watched mom just really, you know, through all this whole process. Uh, so it's a very holistic way of helping people 
the way we would want to be helped. And I really, I feel like if we, we want to love families well, we need to love them the way we would want to be loved. And I, I really believe that uh, yeah. receiving toxic charity is not helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as Matt alluded to, I heard that from our pastor when I was a toxic charity addict, you know, back before we started Hope Send in those containers. And restoring dignity is helpful. Having that dignity restored and, and seeing families thrive, just like the, the bread maker that you talked about, just like the lady you talked about handing gifts out and just be, really being a part of the solution uh, helps uh, families in a way that those families grow, the communities grow, and I believe helps uh, change our world for the better. Yeah. If I could just say one final word here, the thing that I appreciate probably most about the building industry in general is how generous the building industry is. It's, it's clearly a part of the culture for, for people to be generous. And I know that, that builders are extremely generous in in a lot of different ways and work with a lot of really great organizations. So I want to, honor that and celebrate that. And I think, um, uh, and when we're encouraging people to partner with Homes for Hope and Hope International, this would not be um, instead of anything that they are currently doing, right? This would be a both ends, you know, please continue doing what you're doing already. Um, if you're looking for an option to get involved in the fight against global poverty, we think Homes for Hope and Hope International is a really strategic way to do so, um, in addition to what people are already doing in their in their communities. So, so per- perfect lead into how I want to try to wrap this all together. So, just today, John Burns, who, uh, if you don't know who he is, um, yeah, you're in the you're in the wrong place. But go check him <laughs> out. Uh, and he made a post to say, today that just said that home builder profits have surged despite massive cost increases. Uh, now he's talking about um, mostly the nationals here on his chart. So, as an example. Uh, century communities, on average, their gross margin has increased by 7% uh, Q1 of 2021 compared to 2020. Um, uh, Meritage, 5.9%. DR Horton, 4.3%. So um, there's still a lot of profit in our industry. Mm-hmm. And my selfish full-on sales appeal to building company owners is where I started at the beginning. Here's an opportunity to do what you already know how to do. To, to fund uh, micro loans that are helping people um, get on their feet and build great businesses, but also the supreme, uh, I think perfectly okay selfish act is to one day uh, when you get brave enough, and I'm sure Jeff and Matt will help you grow in your bravery to get on a plane and go visit some of these places. Mm-hmm. And you may not know exactly where a, a particular dollar or which loan you interact with. It didn't matter. You know, when we went, first went down to Guatemala, we met, the children that we were sponsoring. And that was cool because it was proof of the reality of it, but it wasn't really the highlight. The highlight was seeing the overall mission being accomplished. And so um, as much as I don't like to sell, I would say if, if you want to really get the maximum payoff, one day you do get on a plane and go visit these places and see the impact that it's having. Amen. Yeah. And Kevin, just like you're on the cutting edge of, all the all the things that you do in in, in uh, the marketing world and uh, work with Ben so closely on, which I appreciate. We believe that the work that Open International does in restoring dignity in lives is on the cutting edge. 
Uh, and if you really start digging into it and see how it's leveraged and how it really truly restores dignity, um, I think you'll see that this is a great way of combining, like I said, drywalling for Jesus and doing, <laughs> it, in, doing it in a way that restores dignity and is on the cutting edge. It's extremely uh, just multiplies your efforts. I love it. Check out the links in the show note, everyone, homesforhope.org as well. Uh, again, Matt, Matt is here to help connect you and make this process as smooth and as uh, straightforward for you as possible. Gentlemen, thanks so much again for taking the time. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin.